Hello again, everyone. Welcome to episode 20 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Today, we're covering the first half of a novel by an author whom none of us have read before, so things should be interesting. Uh, As we announced at the end of last week, the subject of discussion for today is the sci-fi debut A Memory Called Empire by Arkady Martin. It's the first novel in the Tixkalan series, that is spelled T-E-I-X-C-A-L-A-A-N, and by, of course, the first half, what I mean is that we're going to discuss everything up until the end of chapter 10 for today. Um, quick shout out before we get the show started, a shout out to Melissa Hanks, who has become our newest $10 Patreon tier member. What's up, Melissa? Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. So now that that's out of the way, I'm your host, Rob Santos. I'm joined, as always, by the stalwart, Mr. Drew McCaffrey. How's it going? My (laughs) co-host. Who is going to give us a brief overview of what's happened up until this point in the narrative. Drew, take her away, dude. Yeah, so... This is a, a pretty heavily involved political science fiction book that we're... Uh, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so kind of the premise here is that uh, there is a, a you know, independent space station called, like, Liesel Station. I, I don't really know how to pronounce some of these words. Well, I've been like, listening to the audiobook, so I can kind of help you out with a few of those, I guess. This one is Lacelle. Lacelle? Okay. Lacelle. Yeah, because they have a lot of, like doubled consonants in their names and stuff. Um, they do. But so they they are uh, not part of the Texcolani Empire, and but they, they have, you know, open relations with them. And the previous ambassador from LaSalle Station has died, uh, presumably by a uh, um, an allergic reaction to something. Yeah, anaphylaxis, apparently. Yeah. And, and our main character, whose name is Mahi Dismare, is that how they pronounce it? Um, Mahit Desmar. Desmar, okay. And uh, so she's sent to replace uh, the old guy who whose name I say is Yiskander. Yiskander. You got it. You Yiskander. nailed it. Yiskander. Awesome. Uh, and and the like big conceit for this book is that the inhabitants of LaSalle Station have this technology called an Imago machine that is like an implant into your uh, nervous system that integrates the memories and personality of a previous person who's died. And so Mahit has an old version, like 15 years out of date, of Yiskander. And, you know, to, to help her, like, acclimate to the politics and the culture of the Tixkalanli Empire. But upon arriving in uh, in the city, as it is called, which is this, like, empire... Uh, not empire. Uh, yes, uh, planet spanning. Yeah, planet spanning city. That's the heart of the empire. Uh, she is shown the dead body of the previous ambassador, and upon seeing this body, her imago uh, version of Yaskander in her head freaks out and dissociates from her, and she's stuck with like no real guide anymore, and so she's thrown in the deep end of the, this volatile political situation that uh develops to the point where like you know she's trying to find out information and there's a bombing that kills her informant and uh and she gets uh almost arrested but is you know through some savvy political maneuvering finds asylum with one of the most prominent politicians in the empire uh and named 19 ads because uh, the the names in the in the empire are really cool, actually. Um, I actually kind of like those, yeah. Yeah, but but so she's more or less like a political prisoner in this other politician's apartments, and uh, finally, like, you know, goes to a banquet, meets the clone of the current emperor, and meets some of the other big time political players, and where we ended off, she actually got an audience with the emperor himself. And found out that uh, her previous, you know, the the, uh, the previous ambassador Yiskander made a promise with the emperor that he would trade the secret Imago technology to the empire for what is essentially independence for LaSalle Station in perpetuity, and uh, and and of course this all happens at the same time that the empire has declared a new war on the region of space, uh, a war of conquest just past LaSalle Station that will presumably, um, you know, 
bring LaSalle Station into the Empire officially. Yeah, so... Okay, so it's good to know on my part that I understood most of it fully because this, like as Drew said at the top of the show, this is a very involved book. There's a lot to digest here. Um, I admit once again, <clears throat> with a schedule like mine, that I've been listening to the audiobook for most of this. Um, and by most of this, I mean I listened to the audiobook from the beginning up through chapter, I want to say chapter 8, and then I decided... I'm really not absorbing as much as I feel like I should be, so I'm going to buy it on the e-reader as well. So now I have two copies. I have one on from Audible, and I have an e-reader copy as well on my Kobo. And boy, this is a difficult book. I will come right out and say it. I mean, Kane's Law, the one we just finished, was difficult for different reasons in terms of yeah. you know narrative structure, in terms of, of chronology. In this case, it's a difficult book just because I feel like I it's just simply beyond me. Uh... <laughs> you get a whole like there's so much to digest like first off we get these complicated moral questions right out of the gate which i love actually um you know as an aside we get situations that i really hadn't even considered uh up until this point which seems to make total sense when you consider the direction that our current technology is taking us you know the idea right out right out the gate of owning one's own genome you yeah know, that's i mean that's not even a question i'm prepared to face fully let alone <laughs> offer any kind of commentary on uh but, you know, with the, like I said, with the direction our current technology is taking us, what with, like, the unlocking of the human genome, and now with CRISPR, yep. as well as any number of advances in the STEM fields, I mean, this is something that, that these are questions that are, they will eventually need considering. And I like how Martine is dabbling in that a little bit, while also giving us a little bit uh, of plot, some some intrigue to uh, to sit there and feast our eyes upon. And I want to say it's a really, really bold move on Martine's part in my opinion, to start a novel with intrigue rather than action. You know, it takes a lot more balls than I have. And I think she pulled it off rather well. It was a risky move, but I think she nailed it. Yeah, I, you, I do think she nailed it. I, uh, you know, when I got to that scene with Yaskander's dead body and, and that just, like, intense, you know, mm, emotional and chemical, like, dissociation of, of uh, Mahit's imago and... Uh, and, I mean, it it was like she's having this full-on panic attack, and I was like, by association, having this like panicked response. No, same. And uh, and, you know, and like I I was hooked from that point. I've I've yeah. really enjoyed this book, and it is in large part due to that scene. Like I haven't been this hooked by a new book. Yeah, there was in years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that scene. I was sweating right along with her. I was like, oh my god, she has an implant just like his, and she's just like sitting there, just like. Oh, I don't know what this is. Maybe it could be this. Maybe it could be that. And she's just trying to yeah. deftly maneuver, you know, any just kind of just deny any kind of knowledge of what's going on. Uh, that scene was a that was a great hook. That scene, I will agree absolutely with you in that respect. Oh yeah, yeah, and and it's yeah. like the the other thing I've really enjoyed about this so far is the wordplay. It's it words and narratives are so important in the culture of the Texcalanli Empire. And and it allows okay. you know of course it's it's all by design but it allows Martine to really flex her muscles as a writer, and and she gets as a linguist yeah I mean she gets to do really really clever things I love like the the couplets the poetry that uh, the imperial just like fashion is of of communication and uh, oh you like that eh yeah it's it's a lot of fun see, it's different see it 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 really was like if. I, again, this is where I said at the top of the show where I think a lot of this book uh, is just simply beyond me. I think this is one of those cases. I just had no patience for the the, the kind of syntax and the grammar mm. and, and the poetry of the Tixkalanli language. I was just like, oh my god, let's get on with the plot. But as I said a few times, and I will reiterate, it could just simply be beyond me. It could just be being a dumbass. <laughs> no, I don't want to condemn Martine for that at all. So, so are you not a fan of like the the chapter epigraphs that, that kick off every... No, the chapter epigraphs, they always... I like that because they provide context. Yeah. They, they're, they're kind of a wider view of what's happening elsewhere in a lot of cases in this narrative. I do appreciate those. I'm a sucker for chapter epigraphs. Always have been, and I think I always will be, mm -hmm. regardless of their content. Um, I think aesthetically they just provide a whole other level of just fucking awesome. But it, it, it's... For me, like, the only... like. Ah, I'm torn. <laughs> so torn. Because Martine is clearly a great writer. She's She clearly knows what she's about, and she's not f***ing around. 
that said i she just she keeps losing me when she goes on these long tangents about syntax over mm-hmm. like what's actually happening in Mahit's surroundings because we only get one point of view and that's Mahit's point of view we well, right. I, yeah 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 i'm trying to think for a second i thought we might have got one from 19 ads but now no. now i'm thinking of ironsides from skyward never mind <laughs> Um, that's actually but, kind of funny because yeah. I, I could see her as like a similar kind of imposing figure as Admiral Ironsides. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I had that, that specific thought while I was actually welding and then I, I was sitting inside of a, a container and I thought, well, then again, Ironsides is like a general. She's a military commander. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit different. But it did strike me right away. It absolutely did, yeah. Um, but going back to her writing and her style, sure. like one of the things that has leapt out at me through the, the first part of this is that she has a tendency to uh, to write big blocks of text. Um, she does. Like, long, descriptive passages about the city, because the city is important. Like, this is with a capital C. Like, it's almost mm-hmm. its own character, in a way. And, uh, and I think we're only going to get more of that in the second half of this book. But, but so, how she kind of pulls off these big blocks of text without overwhelming the reader or losing the reader is that she often starts them with one short line of dialogue that hooks you. It's something important. It's like a really weighted question that Mahit has for three seagrass or 19 ads. Oh, and, interesting. and she doesn't give us the answer to this question, the, the returning dialogue from this other character, until after like a page of description oh exposition yeah she'll just go yeah "Yeah, okay i've definitely noticed that where a character like a line of dialogue will come back in and i'm like what are they talking about oh yes this character's responding to something that we read two pages ago yeah yeah it's it's a really clever you know kind of uh writing technique it's it's a an opportunity for her to build her world but keep the reader engaged despite the fact that you know it's easy as a reader to to kind of have your eyes glaze over when you see like oh my gosh this paragraph starting here and it's <laughs> it like it carries over onto the next page all one paragraph like or in my case if you're on audiobook you're sitting there waiting for the other shoe to drop and you're just like okay oh no she's still going on okay cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but i like it you know i i really enjoy her her style in this book i i i have <laughs> nothing but good things to say about this book so far i bet i when i was reading it i kept thinking drew was gonna fucking love this book <laughs> yeah i I'm, I'm really glad that we we picked this as our first like you know new for 2019 uh novel yeah. to read for the so podcast. this is 2019 this is not 2018 this is uh, brand brand new yeah this came out at the end of march i think it was march 21st um oh. yeah wow so this has really only been out not even for, for two months yet yeah yep oh shit. i thought it was like a year Something like that. I figured it was current. I didn't think it was that current. Mm-hmm. Well chosen there, Drew. Nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But but kind of moving on from the uh, from the writing style, uh, I want to talk now, yeah. about like uh, Mahi as the main character. Sure, sure. Um, like, what do you think about her? Do you enjoy being in her head? Okay. Well, I'll start off by saying I don't have a whole lot on the subject of me. He, I mean, I, I do have some, and I'll get, I'll get through it. Um, she seems capable, and she, it's hard not to empathize with someone in her position. I mean, she is, for all intents and purposes, culturally shell-shocked in this society, which she's oh, yeah. grown up studying and admiring. And though she speaks the language rather well, which for me is actually a point of envy, I've got to admit, <laughs> as my own second language is rather rusty, and Drew, you are going to get a witness of this firsthand in the next episode we record today. Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, but as it is, you know, there's there's only so much common ground I can find with a character who is A, female, uh, B, brave enough to immerse herself in an entirely new culture, and C, competent enough and intelligent enough to understand not only the finer points of politics, but the ever-increasingly ludicrous syntax of the Tixkalanli language. You know, for me, Mahit is an entirely unrelatable character, but... Hmm. On the other hand, it doesn't really make her viewpoints suffer. Like, I don't hate them. I'm not going back to them going, more of this again, you know? Uh, I, I am still intrigued, and I am still involved. There's another word I'm looking for. I'll probably invested. think of it later. Invested. Thank you. What a word I'm still to invested forget, in man. Meat. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Considering our history with uh, the costume. <laughs> yeah. um, and I do want to say I like the furtive 
narrative, uh, furtive, wow, the fertile narrative ground that we get with her problems in particular. You know, she's walking around with this entire other person in her head, but it's one who just vanishes right when she needs him. You know, yeah. we get a gl- we get we get glimpses of Yaskander here and there. We do shadows, tantalizing fragments. You know, it starts off with the ghosts of feelings. I'll say, you know, the echo of fondness and frustration when she hears Fifteen Engines' name. Yeah, um, blatant fondness, even some blatant arousal in the presence of Nineteen Ads. Oh yeah. But where I I really started getting freaked out was during the heat scene in uh, in Nineteen Ads' shower when she sees her own hand oh, as a man's yeah, hand. Oh yeah. And she feels the water from the shower head hitting lower on her back, you know. That was f***ing scary. I mean, that gave me the heebie-jeebies. Right there. That right there is some horror movie shit, and I like it. It's the excellent way to build up tension with that character and remind us, despite all of the ostensibly boring politics, depending on who you are, that all is not in order with Mahit's identity or her memory. Mm-hmm. What about you, man? Yeah, so, you know, you talked about her you know, her identity as as a woman and as somebody who's so eager to throw herself into a new, challenging, scary, mm-hmm. foreign situation, right? And and I, in a lot of ways, I agree with you there. I, uh, the best way I can describe it is I don't, I don't have sympathy with her, but I, I feel empathy. I, okay, I, yeah, uh, that's a great way to put it. Like, I... Am invested in her character. I love being inside her head and getting a perspective on somebody who is so different from me. And uh, you know, because like I mean, like you, my second language, which is Spanish, I am extremely rusty on. You know, I've I've been really sure, practiced sure. in a couple of years, and you know, I've forgotten so much vocabulary. And and so yeah, the idea of French, yeah, the idea of being immersed in a foreign culture and a foreign language is terrifying to me. It's something that I, you know, I'm sure knowing myself after, you know, like a day or two, I would be like, okay, no, like time to stop being scared. Time to like, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and, and do this thing. But I wouldn't willingly put myself in that situation. No. And quick shout out to, uh, shout out to my sister, Nicolina, who did exactly that, by the way, a couple of years ago. Well, not a couple. I'd say about five years ago, six years ago. She just decided, you know what? I'm going to spend a few months living in Quebec City. And, oh boy, she has some stories to tell about that. I mean, apparently the Quebecois French are not very forgiving to (laughs) foreigners in their their home, in their setting there. But anyway, so I just wanted to to give her a quick shout out because, like I said, that takes way more courage than I have. Yeah, but but so what I really do love and I do connect with uh, is is Mahit's cleverness. It's her her love of playing games and playing mm-hmm. you know conversational games with people and like I particularly I do have a quote about that. I particularly enjoyed her conversation and her interaction with Ten Pearl at the banquet where she okay, she pulls off this like backward uncultured barbarian where it's so obvious that she's faking it that Ten Pearl's like, well, obviously she's faking it, but he's still like, wait, or is she? And we get we get a little bit of Serene and Wraithen from Elantris in that kind yeah, of mode, don't we? Yeah, exactly. You know, back in our Elantris episodes, I talked about how much I love that scene up on the wall when Wraithen's, it's you know, having his sermon gold. and Serene comes in and messes the whole thing up by acting like a bumbling idiot. And and it's not quite the same exact thing here, but it is it is a similar type of manipulation and, and you know an interpersonal uh, you know facade that she's putting up, and and I just I really enjoy that she's so you know fish out of water, you know not in her element, scared alone, and yet she still finds not only the confidence but the joy and the the satisfaction in messing with people like this oh yeah absolutely like on that same subject there was a conversation i have a quote written about exactly this it was in chapter three mm-hmm. when we're, we're we're just getting to know you know the main characters we're just getting to know three seagrass in particular and <clears throat> you know we get the um we get the arrival of 19 ads in in the chamber to you know while they're observing yasconder's body and at one point uh it was three seagrass that says 
how nice for us that everyone lies. Yes. And we get yes. from Mahit the response, cultural exchange through mutually beneficial deception. Yep. And I just love that. I had to, I had a quick guffaw out loud when I was welding when I when I read that. That was a that was a really clever bit bit of wordplay there. And as we as you were saying, that is the kind of thing that we get to see out of Mahit again and again as her kind of defense mechanism with this whole fish out of water scene and this whole cultural shell shock that she's experiencing. I, I do really, really enjoy those brief moments of respite that we get because they are awesome. Yeah, they are awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, sticking with characters here, what do you think of three seagrass? <laughs> uh, well, I just had one more point about Mahit that I wanted to get out of the way. Oh, yeah. And then I'll totally jump on that question because I have lots to say about her. Um, but the last thing I wanted to discuss about Mahit was this. I am concerned with her level of suspicion. Uh, hmm. It doesn't really seem healthy to me. She internalizes this motivation for practically everyone she meets to want her dead. And I, on one hand, it's, I mean, I guess it's hard to blame her seeing what's happened to Yaskander, or at least what we assume has happened to Yaskander. And what has and now, almost what's happened, happened her with, twice. Yes, with this, with this flower attempt... Um, I guess yeah, and the, the, bomb. The, the bomb, the bomb. But at that point, we we didn't really know what it was for. Like we assumed, I had kind of assumed it was for Fifteen Engine, who was a yeah important political entity in his own right. Uh, but what concerns me the most is when she starts suspecting Three Seagrass, or maybe not even suspecting, but when she's asked, she replies that she trusts her as much as anyone in the city. Yes. And I was like, come on, Mahit. You know, she even, okay, she even suspected 19 ads, assuming that the woman, act, you know, actually wanted her dead, but only saved her life as a sort of kind of impulsive last yeah, yeah, change of the mind. You know, I'm, I'm starting to get concerned with just how suspicious Mahit is being of everyone around her, you know? Yeah, no, that's so, that's definitely fair. But I yeah, think so it's... That, that was my, I, sorry, go ahead. I think it's interesting how you, you brought up, like, you're you're almost exasperated with Mahit over her suspicion of three seagrass. Yeah, uh, because as like I like three seagrass. I think she's too likable. I think Ooh. I think uh, we are in for a twist there that she does not have uh, Mahit's best interests at heart, and we're going to get some kind of betrayal by three seagrass, possibly also by twelve azalea. And um, and we're gonna find out down the line that nineteen ads uh, is a better friend, political friend of Mahit's than Mahit suspects. That's interesting. Well, this is the perfect jump-off point to start discussing three seagrass in depth. Yeah, I suppose. Um, so she, I like you just said to me, she's a lovable character. Mm -hmm. You know, she reminds me a lot, and I'm sure you might have picked up on this too. She reminds me a lot of Steris from Mistborn Era Two. Oh, no spoilers, yeah, could, of course. I'm not that. going to go into spoilers. But there's a point when she asks Mahit, "Are you going to finish that drink?" This is at the banquet. Mahit says, "Yes." Why? And she goes, "Because I'm going to have to talk about Fourteen Spires' use of assonance for the rest of the evening, and you're going to have to listen. And we should both be slightly more inebriated." Yeah, <laughs> I love that quote. You know, she's always got she's she's just so quirky. She's always got this fresh perspective to compliment Mahit's, mm -hmm. but she she definitely breathes as her own character. She's got her own idiosyncrasies. These these things with with the the syntax again of the of the. Takes Kalani language that just seemed to irk her mm -hmm. a lot, in the same way that certain things about the English language seemed to irk me and you. Hmm. You know, okay. she's de to to me she's she's a lot more relatable than Mahit is. Um, and also, of course, there, there was that quote that I want to throw forth that what happened right after Fifteen Engine just you know kaboom exploded and uh. she was searching for Mahit in the rubble and she goes, "I would really like you to be alive." And then when she finds <laughs> yeah. out, she is great. Fantastic. Reporting your death to the Emperor would be incredibly embarrassing and possibly end my career. And also, I think I'd be upset. Yeah. <laughs> I love that line. She's just, ah, she's just this, this little fluffy ball of fun. And every time I, she opens her mouth, I'm a little, I'm, I'm just, I'm interested. Yeah. I want to hear what she's got to say. Fun is exactly the word to describe her. She's. Yeah, right. And, and that's why I'm suspicious. Is I, I think she's too fun. Hmm. Like, like that it, it can't be purely natural like i i think i think she does have some aspects of this in her personality but that she's overplaying them for the sake of mahi sure. 
and we're and we're going to be in line for some kind of turn in her character in the second half of this book that's interesting i haven't see normally i'm really suspicious of people i mean we've seen that in past podcasts i have not even had the slightest whiff of suspicion in in, like going (laughs) off for her like i i haven't even begun to suspect her yet so i'm really interested to see where the hell that goes yeah uh, let's see here. Uh, I don't think I have any more particularly about Three Seagrass to discuss. Uh, I don't. I don't immediately either. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll have a lot more at the end of the book. Oh yes. What do you want to discuss next then? Mm. Nineteen ads, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Pardon me. I was in the middle of uh, taking a sip of my beer here. Oh no problem there. <laughs> I was just in the middle of searching through my phone notes here. Um. um okay. Go ahead, dude. Take her off. Yeah, so 19 Ads uh, is one of these uh, formidable characters that you get in books who uh, have just, by their nature, by their formidable nature, a threatening, looming presence on the page. And uh, and I think Martine is using that as a device to both keep Mahi off balance but also to eventually build her up to the point where she can gain the confidence, excuse me, to deal with somebody like 19 ads or 30 Larkspur, right? It's, uh, mm. she's, she's kind of a measuring stick character that, uh, Mahi as this young, untested, you know, uh, not naive, but like, uh, she lacks confidence. You know, so it's it's her her role model in many ways. And and that comes through on the page where she talks about how like she's annoyed with 19 ads and her like just uh assumptive superiority, but she also finds herself grateful for the way 19 ads protects her and and praises her and things like that. And it's that approval that Mahi is going to end up you know, needing to get over in order to find her own confidence and not need validation from people that she sees as her superiors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get that kind of play between their personalities where 19 adds jokes about Mahit being a prisoner and Mahit jokes about being a prisoner and she kind of is, but she kind of isn't and figuring out that kind of ground between them and where their um, where their personal boundaries lie in their interactions. You know, it, it, it's been pretty interesting to read. Right. 19 ads definitely is a formidable person and she is fascinating to read. She has great insight on things. She has this sort of, I, I, I hesitate, I hesitate to say protective kind of vibe of Mahit, but we, as we know now, they, she and Yaskander were intimately involved. Yes. And it's gotta be hard for somebody like 19 Ads to know that this person with whom she was so familiar with, with, with she was so enraptured with, exists in some form inside Mahit's head, and how she kind of treats, she's trying to figure out these, these personal boundaries as well. I, I see, like, again, it's, this is something I'm going to discuss a lot with Martine, you know, throughout the rest of this episode is the societal implications of this kind of technology and and, and the, the interactions they lead to. I think that they're, they're just fascinating. Uh, 19 ads for me might be my current favorite character in the book. Hmm. Um, and there might be, and it might just be because of one fucking line that she had in chapter six. Oh. And it was when she said, if you've had enough of politics, and I went, oh my god, yes, please, for fuck's sake, I've had enough of this shit. You know, this book has so much politics in it, and I'm just struggling to find the plot. You know, I'm constantly going through it. I'm just like, okay, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Nothing happens. You know, and in that moment, I feel like we got a little bit of fourth wall breaking on the part of 19 ads when she, Hmm. I think... And I don't know this for a fact, obviously, but it, to me, it kind of read like Martine becoming a little self-aware in that, okay, I'm getting maybe a little, too much politics happening. I should at least make a joke about it, you know? Mm. Um, so, you know, 19 ads for me, just to recap, fascinating to read. Probably my current favorite character. Oh, shit. Three Seagrass yeah. is really fun, though. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> she's she's formidable. She's formidable, and I look forward to reading anything we get out of her, definitely. I do enjoy 19 ads. Yeah, and so, 
you know, we were talking earlier about how there are some similarities between 1999s and, and uh, Admiral Ironsides from Skyward. Sure, yeah. and, and how maybe there's some... Not to spoil anything, obviously. Yeah, maybe yeah. there are some similarities between Three Seagrass and Steris from Mistborn. They are strong, empowered women, you know? You can draw, like, you know, maybe some parallels there. But these characters, for the most part in this book, really stand on their own and i can't really come up with like a good one-to-one comparison for any of them uh and, sure. and that's rare to me i've read so many hundreds of books over you know the course of my life that it's very rare that i find a truly original character and i think that's a testament to the culture and world uh that martine has created here in a memory called empire that that they they have unique not only motivations but personalities and the way they act as people is so different and i just i really enjoy that i i i love how original this book is hmm interesting yeah and and that kind (sighs) of brings me to what i want to talk about at my next point and that's the setting because the setting Mm. the, the city and this the, the city and the world and the empire, as it has been made so clear in the book, are kind of inextricably the same. And, uh, yeah, you know, and it, it's this monolithic, creepy sort of feeling. And I, I do want to draw a parallel here, and that is to the Axe of Cain, where the sunlit... Oh. The sunlit remind me so forcibly of the of social the police. The social police. Oh yeah, the social police. The yeah. Faceless, homogenous, like almost collectively hive mind, operative uh, police force. That the moment, you know, there was that scene when the city like rose up out of the plaza to, to contain all the witnesses of the bombing with like all the the blue yeah. light in yeah. the area, and they're people keep saying, oh, we'll wait for the sunlit to get here. And from yeah. from the moment the sunlit were first mentioned, I just had this immediate sense of creepy foreboding. And then they showed up on the page, really? and I was like, oh, yeah. Like, immediately I was like, social police right here. This is wow. soapy. You see, this is interesting because I kind of had the opposite reaction. The really? sunlit just sounds so friendly you know there's there's something about the aesthetic uh, the aesthetic of the city you know the golden sky the the, the colors and everything you mm-hmm. know there's something very very calming and peaceful warm i guess is the kind of the word i want to use about it you know the, the sunlit I, obviously once we got the descriptions of the sunlit the, the sunlit like the hard descriptions the fact that they have these these face plates or the, these 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 domes that cover their the entirety of their face not just a section of their face and how they're supposed to appear you know, very, very similar, and they're supposed they're supposed to be faceless, but that's where the similarity ended, though, because I they didn't strike me as menacing so much as they were just dudes trying to do their job. They weren't soulless. They did they had they still had personality a little bit to me more so than the soapies did. No, no, I, I, I see did, Drew kind of shaking his head with a little smile there. I did not think so at all because that that huh. one scene when uh, Mahit is talking to the the sunlit officer. And he goes back and talks to the rest, and she immediately loses track of which one is which. She has no perception of even if they're men or women. I say he, but we don't know. And then, and then we in got science that. fiction, we get that a lot. Well, but but right? the whole point like, was that like they were faceless, faceless kind of yeah. organization, exactly. and then this kind of faceless entity on behalf of those in power. Right? We get this a lot in science fiction. But the biggest thing was when she has the memory of. Uh, uh, Yiskander's conversation with Ten Pearl and talking about the algorithm of the city and he mentions the sunlit and mentions how they they do not have individual personalities. They are oh. they are a collective like hive mind. I missed that part of it. Oh. And, okay, well, and, and he talks about more. like how there must be some kind of like the Imago machine some kind of neurological adaptive technology that they have because uh Yiskander saw or met somebody who wanted to become a sunlit and seemed like a normal dude 
But then, huh. but and that was totally incongruous with the way the sunlit actually are. I somehow missed out on that little yeah detail. Yeah, so that's a I, I think I think the sunlit are going to be a big big deal here in the second half of the book. I don't see them taking like an active like plot oriented role unless they're involved in one lightning's uh um maybe oh, yeah. attempted one coup. lightning. But I, I also don't know if he really feels the need to, uh, you know, to have an uprising, any kind of insurrection on his behalf, since he has what he wants now. We, we have the war uh, declared. We have him in charge. He's been granted authority over the legions, yeah. all this, and that's what he wants. So well, what about this entire other entity that is Odile, this insurrection that's happening? Uh -huh. What do we think is going on in that regard man i don't i got know. it right odile odile that's yeah. a, oh, holy shit i just i just had like a brain fart i was like wait was it a p opile okay thank uh, you yeah i i really don't even know what to think there uh and this is another thing i really like about this book is that odile has been referenced so many times that it i feel like to we're gonna see more of that we're gonna see more of that in another book or maybe later in this book but it's going to be important what's going on i think yeah oh yeah but at the same time there is this much more sinister, much more dangerous, mysterious alien entity with the, uh, the like, concentric rings ships that showed up outside of the LaSalle Station jump gate during one oh. of the, uh, yeah. uh, the epigraphs, the report. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, it wasn't during the narrative, it was an epigraph that we saw that in, I was like, yeah. what the f is this and they didn't go into it in the narrative at all i was like okay i want to read more about that so and i think um i think they are going to be much more dangerous than anybody including the Tixkalonli, believe and they are coming from that region of space that uh the empire is going to be invading here i think that war is mm. not going to go the way one lightning wants it to and uh interesting and that's where, like, you know, you keep saying, you're like, I'm, I'm tired of the politics, I want some plot here. I think. That's oh, I haven't even gotten started, my friend, just wait. I think that's where your action is going to really come in, is, is Good. this, Good. Uh, you know, this war is not going to go the way everybody thinks it will. God. Yeah. Oh, man, we're going to have to censor a lot of this episode. Sorry, I just, after we're done with Kane, I'm just, like, bombs <laughs> flying out of my mouth everywhere. What did Stover do to me? Jeez. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, are there any other characters that you want to discuss specifically before we just kind of go into like closing thoughts, overall impressions, predictions? I I will admit, I actually totally fucking forgot to make predictions. Um, but I can. Yeah, I I, I don't really have anything more to talk about characters. I think pretty much everybody else has been straightforward, with the exception of. Uh, Oh, and now I'm blanking on his name. Eight Antidote? Eight Antidote? Yeah, we got the same name at the same time. How, yep. how creepy is that little kid? You know, see, okay, so my, okay, I, I do have one specific thought about Eight Antidote written down, but it wasn't so much about his character as it was in Mahit's response to his character. Mm -hmm. And it was this. The introduction of Eight Antidote, and I'm reading from my notes right now, was foreboding. I am suspicious of her supposed and inexplicable maternal instincts um, that I feel like in some way could be Yaskander bleeding through to her consciousness again. Hmm. Um, I mean, he's been there for long enough, Yaskander has. Uh -huh. I mean, or, or it could just be the fact that I'm jumping the gun, you know? Uh, I'm very, very sus suspicious of small details I all the think, time. Uh, I think you may be going down uh, the same road I went down, and I'm, and I'm curious because this is a prediction I have. Uh, but but yeah, this is like I was gonna say. If I have any predictions, this is one that I have written down. Is that one? Yeah. So so my prediction here is that much was made of the fact that this child is a ninety percent clone of Six Direction, the Emperor. Where did that other ten percent yeah. come from? Yep. Yeah. And these inexplicable oh, man, maternal instincts that Mahit is. Oh oh feeling. well no okay no we're back yeah. no 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 you we're back got me okay sorry yeah uh. Uh, but yeah. So, so I I think so, that other ten percent is Yaskander. Interesting. I was actually thinking that the entire ninety percent clone thing could just be a fabrication. 
and that he is oh. naturally Iskander's kid, perhaps. But uh, I, again, I don't know. I do. I hadn't even considered that other ten percent that Drew just brought to the to the spotlight, and I'm kind of a little more on that bandwagon now. That's interesting. I hadn't yeah, considered it's, that. It's just one of those things. Like they they've mentioned the ninety percent clone thing several times. And... I know. It's yeah. It's like. Yeah, you, it's, it, I'm, I wonder if I could even count them on two hands now. How many f***ing times they've they've mm -hmm. mentioned that? Um, but so, but my yeah, last kind of thought about um, Eight Antidote is that he reminds me of a character from uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and it and that is uh, oh the son of the Fuhrer. So I'm not going to spoil anything. People who've watched the show know who I'm talking about and know why I'm saying this. But uh, if you haven't watched oh, Full Metal Alchemist okay. Brotherhood, I'm going to go on a little tangent here. Watch it. It's like it's legitimately sure. one of the greatest written shows of all time. I haven't seen it, so I'm learning right here too. Go ahead. Oh, it's it's just absolutely brilliantly written, brilliantly paced, uh, just fantastic world building. Metal if you're, if you're, that's an anime, yes. Yeah. So Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Okay. Brotherhood. Yes. So there's there are two shows. There's Full Metal Alchemist, which started based on a manga, but got ahead of the manga, and they kind of wrote their own ending to it. And then ah, they remade the show a once... A Weiss and... Yeah, yeah. And and once the show, or once the manga was completed, they went back and made a new show where they redid the whole thing. And and Brotherhood, man, it's so good. Uh, but, but so, 8 Antidote reminds me a lot of uh, the Son of the Fuhrer in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. So... Interesting. That's that's okay, my final. Uh, that's my final, uh, you know, thought on him. Cool. But all right. But yeah. Can I? I uh, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it sounded like you had a thought to finish there. I want to make. No, sure no. I, I was just gonna first. say, like, if you wanted to go into, you know, overall impressions and predictions on. Yeah, because I I have a I have a few complaints now to get out of the way. Oh sure. So, okay, now, my problems with this book thus far are probably the same problems that I imagine a lot of other readers would have, uh, and depending on, on who you are, you may or may not agree with this, but I personally found it boring, and there's nothing <laughs> happening. I just can't get over how much time we spend listening to poetry, or, or more often simply the description of poetic verse, and the ridiculous complexity of the Tixkalanli language. I mean, this book feels like it's kind of just like an excuse. All Everything that's happening is just an excuse to lecture us about the finer points of the syntax in this language here. You know, and I, I'm harking... I, I do really briefly want to harken back to a, a, an earlier discussion we had about Martin versus Stover. Sans spoilers, of course. No spoilers involved. Mm -hmm. But during the Acts of Cain, I mentioned that what separates Stover and Martin for me was gratuity. Okay, like Stover writes grimdark, but he adds it as a companion to the plot. It's auxiliary. He pulls it off as rather matter of fact, and and it, he moves on with his narrative. Martin, on the other hand, George R. R. Martin, seems to write grimdark for the sake of being grimdark. And I, I want to apply this thinking to what I've read so far of from Martin in this hmm. book, A Memory Called Empire, considering that we're halfway done with the book. We have several hundred pages out of the way. Or if you're listening to the audiobook like I am, nine hours of listening on my part. All we've had happen so far is that we've discovered Yiskander was possibly murdered, uh, 15 Engine got blown up in the street, and Mahit was almost assassinated by a deadly flower. And if you really take a step back and look at the big picture, not much has happened. You know, we've definitely been subjected to a seemingly endless litany on the finer points of verbal and, and cultural exchange, you know, I mean, and I have a quote here to back this up. I didn't just, you know, pull this out of my ass. Check this out. This was from chapter eight, 8% 8 read. This is on my e-reader. I'm quoting this from here. Mahit found herself, herself, and this is during the banquet, standing on the edge of a circle of Tixkalan lead slim, watching them have what she could only describe as not a poetry contest, but a battle of wits conducted in entirely in extemporaneous verse. It had begun as a sort of game. One of three Seagrass's evanescently clever friends took up the last line of 14 Spire's dull and prize-winning poem, said, Let's play, shall we? And proceeded to use that line as her first one. 
composing a quatrain that shifted the rhythm from the standard 15-syllable political verse form to something that was absolutely stuffed full of dactyls. And then she pointed her chin at another one of three Seagrass's friends in challenge, and he took her last line, and apparently came up with a perfectly acceptable quatrain on his own, with no preparatory time. Mahit caught a few of his references. He was imitating the style of a poet she'd read, 13 Penknife, who used the same vowel sound pattern repeated on either side of the Seishura. And at this point, I just wish I had a fucking gun to put in my mouth and just end it already. Oh my god, let's just get on with the narrative. I don't give a fuck about this fucking rap battle that Three Seagrass is having with her fucking friends here. It, it, at this point, it just seems, and this is how I just want to end up my bitching, because I could go on for a long time, but I don't want to make this a two-hour episode. They're not... Uh, this entire book seems to be 10% plot... 20% Tix Kalan lead slim. I've heard that fucking word so many times in the <laughs> audiobook that I just want to fucking throw my phone. And 70% lecture on the finer points of an invented syntax. And I'm just, I don't know how I feel about it because Martine feels like she, she reads like she, she's a great author. She has this clever turn of phrase. She has these absolutely original characters that I just love. Like her characters are awesome. But I just can't get over how much politics and how much grammar and syntax and language and poetry that I've got to read just to get to anything interesting, in my opinion. But again, I do want to reiterate the, the fucking thing that I've said a hundred times already in this episode. It could simply just be beyond me. What about you, Drew? What are, what are you, what do you oh, think? And don't hold back. If you think it's honestly, just go ahead. So I will address your first point there. Where you said, like, all that's okay. happened is, like, you know, 15 engine got blown up, uh, you know... Uh, There's a flower that almost, almost killed got poisoned. Like, I would say there is much more than that that's happened. Um, I would say uh, the fact that the war was, was declared is a big deal. And that greatly accelerates the timeline of this book. Was that, was that a surprise, though? Or did you expect that coming from the beginning? Uh... It was, I mean, I wouldn't say I expected it from the beginning. I would say it, like, once there there was the, uh, you know, the video of the crowd in, what was it, like, Central Plaza 7, that, uh, you know, they were all chanting for one lightning. And, one lightning, and one lightning. Oh, there's adds... a character I wanted to discuss, and we totally forgot. Well, but we haven't really gotten much of him. We haven't even, like, met him. No, I, yeah, so. sorry. I guess when I say discussion, I just meant, like, what are your impressions on where yeah. that's going? But we can but, discuss that after your point here. But so... You know, there there was a conversation between 19 ads and, and uh, Mahit about what that means and the past successions in the Empire. And, and from that point, I was like, okay, yeah, no, we're going to get some kind of a war declared as a, a political maneuver on the part of One Lightning. But, but that's still plot development. You know, that's still a, a, a momentous thing happening here. And uh, and I, I will say like yes you're right this is a this is a very heavily political book, um, a lot of these events are happening at a remove from our main character because you know, by nature she's an ambassador like she's not going to be fighting on the front lines, sure. uh, you know she's a different kind of character she's not a, you know a, a Mirama from the Rune Lords or or a Vivenna from Warbreaker or you know or Vin from Mistborn or some of like you know one of these kind of like so-called badass female characters she is a i mean i i would say she's a badass character in her own right you know we talked about this at the top of the episode where okay you know neither of us would would ever be willing to put ourselves in in this kind oh. of like culture shock situation, unquestionably right um you know she has her own kind of courage sure and the fact that she's adapting to the situation the way she is but she's not uh, just just by the nature of being an ambassador, she's not going to be involved in a lot of the action. So this is a different kind of book. Yes, it's a space opera, but it's like it's a thinker's space opera. It's a political space opera. Right. And 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 for me, that's where I, I draw my my earlier statement that it could just be beyond me because I'm personally just looking for the action. I'm looking for the characters <laughs> who are fighting. And this may ex end up if I end up liking Mahit enough, and I end up liking this book enough, this could expand my proverbial palette mm -hmm. for things like politics for things like linguistics 
um, things that are very heavily involved in the narrative of this book, you know? Yeah, and I'll say, like, I, I hope that's the case. Uh, part of the reason Sweet. that I, I wanted yeah, to do this be. book was that I, I had a feeling it was going to be this type of story. And it's sure. something that I I enjoy quite a lot. And if we, I, yeah. if we ever want to do the Book of the New Sun... Like man, you think this is a challenging book? <laughs> oh, what are the odds? I was—I meant to ask you about the book of the new sun before we even started this episode. That I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, and and but at the same time, you know, it's not like this book is totally bereft of action, and I do expect there to be some action scenes this, by the end. What of are the you book. talking about? There's no. Okay, oh, well, you're right. That's right. I was going to say, there's but, been no action so far. But then again, we're in the first half. I haven't even considered the second half. But, you know, and, and Book of the New Sun's the same way. Like it's, it's, a, it's a thinker's science fiction fantasy. But there are scenes of action in it, right? Which I imagine is a lot harder to appreciate when you're listening to an audiobook. I yeah. also have to add that there, oh, too. Sure, it could just sure. be the fact that I'm consuming yeah. this mostly via audiobook. I have the physical not the physical but the e-reader for the second half so i will be yeah, and, making an attempt to and my second point there is like i i have to wonder if your impression of this book is tinted a little bit by the fact that you were uh at the same time reading the uh short piece the the novella that we're going to be recording mm -hmm. our uh, patreon only episode after this which is yeah. absolutely action-packed oh i have so much so, to glow about with that so i have to there, wonder yes. you know if, if that did you know make an impact on you when you're you're reading two different things the at the same time and they are so right. completely different right and one is so much more geared towards what i have already established that i like it yeah. could be the it could be that i i, I want to make very clear that i'm not condemning martine in any way for writing a boring book it for me, it's boring, but it could be a problem with me. And it could be any number of things that I'm consuming at the same time mm -hmm. that I find more interesting. I mean, I have lots that I do like about this book, but so far to me, it just feels slow and hmm. boring. And I really hope it picks up the pace. Yeah. And, and maybe this is, you know, like, like we're saying, you know, it's a matter of taste because on my part, yeah, man, I am, I cannot get enough of this book. <laughs> oh yeah. Like you, you, yeah. You, don't, you brought don't... up that quote about, you know, the, the like the game the the poetry game they were the playing. the the rap battle that they have and, there and of poetic you're using verse. it as like this example of like oh this is so gratuitous like I'm totally yeah. bored by this and I in that moment loved that I was in that moment oh. I'm thinking this is so much for Drew this is the kind of thing that Drew <laughs> and not to disparage you at all but I I I, I, I want to concede that this is something that Drew would probably appreciate that I wouldn't just because it's beyond me like, I just don't <laughs> care for this kind of yeah, nope. I, you know, and, and this is definitely the writer in me coming out. Like, it's it's the appreciation, you know, for something that another writer is doing that, I mean, like, I couldn't, I couldn't write this book. This is, you know, Fuck. you keep saying beyond me. This is, this level of writing is absolutely beyond me. I, I would love to someday achieve this, this level of, like, a just involved, uh metatextual prose you know like the, the, it's it's something that i would never even thought of trying i can to write. imagine it's it works out to an art form in its own right exactly you know it's it's a and this is a cool thing about not only being a writer but being a reader is that you can find brilliant writers across a wide spectrum doing totally different things but also doing you know things that you know like, for instance, you have, like, Arcady Martin here writing this stuff. Matthew Stover couldn't write this kind of a book. I don't... I would actually agree but with that. But I'm not going to say that Arcady Martin is a better writer than Matthew Stover. I oh, also no, don't no, no, think definitely. that Arcady Martin could write the kind of book that, you know, uh, Stover did with Heroes Die or Blade of Taisha. Sure. Like, it's, it's this brilliant part of being a reader and having this wealth of fantastic literature at our hands where we can read totally different kinds of books that fall under the same genres and follow in some ways the same conventions and tropes mm -hmm. but be engaging in completely different ways yeah and get entirely different things benefits out of them yeah you know in the points of enjoyment out of them you know and, based and on our tastes yeah. and, and you know you know we're talking about speculative fiction here right science fiction fantasy and how almost universally 
you know, you, you may get some authors who try to say like, oh, I'm not trying to make a point with this, but almost universally, there is some kind of, if not a message or a moral, but there's there's a question that an author will bring up through this remove of, you know, we're writing in a different world, in a different culture, that you can bring back when you step away from the book and consider in the context of our world. And yeah, both Stover, again, to make this comparison, both Stover and Martine did this, right? Stover had all kinds of things to say about, like, unchecked capitalism and, and uh, you know, caste-based governments and, and uh, you know, uh, dictatorships and things like that. And Martine here, she has a, a you know, a touch, obviously, because this is a book written that came out in 2019, whereas Stover's came out in, like, the 90s and 2000s, where we already have questions to consider about like terrorism and what the threat of a bomb and like how it shuts down the subways I'm so glad you brought this and, up. Yep. and and what it does to the cultural psyche where where you have a government saying you know we, we had that scene at the end of chapter 10 where maki meets six direction the emperor and he talks about we have peace we've had peace for 80 years 80 and she, years and three times like, your lifespan yeah and she's like but you haven't had peace. There have been insurrections and there have been bombings and things like that. But but he's considering peace in this greater context that, yeah. you know, the bombings and the insurrections are so removed for him at the level, level of government that it is peace for him. But for the average person who now is like, man, like, is it even safe for me to go to my, like, neighborhood brunch spot? Because somebody might set off a bomb in it, you know, and that's, yeah. and that's a question that we have to grapple with as citizens in the yep. world of 2019, where it's like, well, you know, if I go to the movie theater, is some lunatic going to come in with a couple of assault rifles and try to kill everybody? Especially like, you living in Denver, you know, like that's yeah, a very, no, very... I mean, there was, you know, it was just a, a month ago. In fact, exactly a month ago was the anniversary of the Columbine shootings. And that week, there was a whole swath of Denver school district shut down because some girl from like Miami, Florida, who was obsessed with the Columbine shooters had flown to Denver and gotten off the plane and legally purchased firearms and had made threats about yeah. shooting up schools in Denver. And there was this huge and I, manhunt and like, you know, so it's it's a very present concern that Martine is writing about from a cultural yep. consciousness. Absolutely. I'm really glad you brought this up because this is this is honestly the last point that I had to talk about before we got into the final draft was specifically surrounding this point. You know, there is this moment when Three Seagrass is incapacitated by the blue light of the city just after 15 engines bomb went off or the bomb that killed him went off. And there's this kindly old man who takes pity on them and he gives them water. And he finds out that Mahit is from space and he says something along the lines of, well, don't worry, you, you won't be a suspect in this. Yeah. And, and what it's in this bombing and my brain my male my white privileged brain went why would she be suspected of this and then oh shit, she's a she's an outsider she's yeah. kind of counter to the culture she's she's definitely noticeable in being an outlier and i i just thought i was like is this a, is this just a total symptom of my white privilege that i didn't even consider this before this kindly old man brought this up um, and, I, and that was honestly my last point that I wanted to bring up. So I'm really glad that you actually took the, the conversation in this direction because it gave me the perfect jumping off point to mention that. Yeah, you know, and, and this is something that I think, you know, beyond this book, but we always have to be conscious of when we're consuming science fiction and fantasy. Yeah, this is a political commentary, yeah. Like, like there's, there's always going to be some type of question to grapple with that you can bring away from the book. And this is one of the reasons that it pisses me off when I see people being like, oh, leave politics out of whatever. Like, like no, leave, leave, you. leave politics out of Star Wars. It's like, like, listen, dude, like, if you were alive during the 70s and you watched the original Star Wars, like, there were such clear, like, you know, Nazi Germany parallels with the Empire. Like, 
Like George Lucas was making statements there, man. You know, and and so of course now that we have new Star Wars movies coming out, they're going to be making, you know, uh, apropos political statements in them because that's the nature of speculative fiction. This is this is the beauty of it is that we can address questions and address problems that we have from a from a remove through a filter, so it's more easily accessible and addressable, right? And uh, yes. And and I think Martine is is really nailing it in this book with that. You know what? After this conversation with you, I might be going into the second half of this book with a fresher perspective, uh, with a with a greater appreciation of what I'm reading. Actually, I I, I will admit that right out of the gate. I'm actually a little more now looking forward to the second half of this book. Awesome. I you know I, I think that's you know that's why we're doing this podcast, right? That's the whole point we, of discussions like this. Yeah, you know this is sure. why we're doing this podcast. It's it's to Yep. Spur conversations not only between us, but hopefully with our audience. You know, we we can we can give people a platform to to approach books in a different way than maybe they've been approaching them, uh, and and let people, uh, you know, address a genre that we all know and love, and and get more out of it than maybe we have been sure. in the past. So yeah, uh, I I think it's a good time, a good note after that to go into the final draft. Yeah, hell yeah, we can go into the final draft. I'll start us off since I have the what I assume to be the boring choice once again, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, today I am drinking a good old standard out of the fridge at the last minute Bush Ice, and my <laughs> God, I have to say that it is. For all intents and purposes, fermented moose piss. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it is disgusting. I have not been enjoying it throughout the entirety of this episode. I absolutely regret drinking it and not getting a beer, a witty beer of my own for this podcast. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll leave us with that, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I do not recommend that beer. Well, I, I have a, a, a somewhat thematically appropriate beer i admit you know today's been Sweet. a bit of a mess i didn't have the time and and uh you know bandwidth to really find a, a great sure, match sure. but i think it's it's it works so i am drinking a single hopped new england style ipa uh and and it's it's um it's a pretty solid beer it's nothing to write home about you know it's a little hoppy you know a little on the bitter side for a new england style which are usually a little IPA, more, I suppose. Well, but like so, the New England style IPA is usually a little juicier, a little fruitier, brighter. Doesn't have oh, the piney okay. kind of hops in it. But this has a little bit of a little bit of the pine flavor. But it is called Single by Choice. Oh, and interesting. And it is from New Image Brewing. Oh, New Image. Okay, I see yeah. what you're doing with that. Imago. So, yeah. So I, it was it was the best I could do on short notice. Um, now it's still a damn sight nicer than my f***ing pathetic attempt over here. Bush ice. This f***ing mud water, dishwater, rag bullshit. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, but but so on that note, you know, uh, I think we're kind of at the end of our time here. Sure, um, yeah. As, you know, as usual, we, we want to invite you to take a look at our Patreon. Uh, as we mentioned earlier Definitely in the episode, so, yeah. uh, we will be releasing Patreon-only episodes covering short stories and novellas. Uh, you'll want to check those out. Uh, there, there are also a bunch of other great benefits. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we want to reiterate, we're not trying to make money off of this. We're trying to make enough from the Patreon. No, we have full-time jobs. That we can pay our awesome sound engineer and, uh, you know, thumbnail artist for, uh, for the fantastic shout out, to shout out to Danny. Yes. Yeah. The fantastic work they do. So, uh, but yeah, next week we will be finishing up a memory of called empire and, uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll have a similarly engaging conversation for that one since uh, you know, yeah, neither of us have read I, this I book before. It's, this is a new experience. But and and I kind of really like the one-on-one -on -one conversation we have. We could just keep firing back and forth, you know. It's it's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and we'll you know we'll keep having guests back on the episode for further episodes, uh, just not for this particular book. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, so this has been 
episode 20 of the inking out loud podcast 20 episodes we've had that's a, it's a milestone we can almost yeah. legally drink <laughs> well you can if you live in canada but you know, uh, hey, yeah. <laughs> um yeah so as usual i am your host drew mccaffrey and with me is your co-host rob santos yo and uh we'll catch you next time thanks for listening everybody peace